It was Christmas break, and I had an opportunity. Every winter, this cabinet shop would close down for a week between Christmas and New Year's, and they would give all of their workers the week off, and the owner would bring in a couple high school students to help clean up the shop. This way, the workers would have some time off, as well as he wouldn't have to pay them their regularly hourly rate just to get the shop cleaned out. And so one of the high schoolers who went in and got to clean out the shop was me. And this was a lot of fun, because not only could you play around with power tools and destroy all kinds of things in the process of cleaning up the shop, but the owner was also somebody who was really nice, and he was really generous. And so he would leave us money every night to go out to dinner, and he'd leave us 20 bucks, and we would go to Taco Bell, and this was when I was 16, and my stomach was invincible, and it didn't matter. And so we ate like kings, well, if kings ate at Taco Bell, because this was the time where you could get tacos for 39 cents, and we'd just pound those tacos and eat nachos and dessert, and we would just, we would gorge ourselves on Taco Bell, and it was fantastic, and then we'd go back and start throwing things across the room and play with power tools, all while we went through the process of cleaning up the shop, and it was a great experience, and it was, it was one of the first times in my life that I, that I had fun at work, and it was the most fun at that point in my life that I'd ever had at work, and that was the week I decided that no matter what I did, I wanted to do something where I could have fun at work, and I always wanted to have a good time whenever I went to work. It was also my first experience with outsourcing. Granted, I was the labor that was, that was brought in in order to do the job. And as this is an election year, at some point in time, we're going to hear about outsourcing. And it's one of the few things, it's one of the few things that the candidates can find some level of agreement on. And both sides will say to, to varying degrees that, that outsourcing is, 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 is an evil thing, and, and each side will advocate for, for workers, and they'll both talk about the negative implications of too much outsourcing. It's dismissed and decried as an assault to a strong national economy, and as such, it has an extremely negative connotation. It has an extremely negative connotation. But what I want us to do is understand that as people who follow Jesus... This idea of outsourcing is actually one of our greatest opportunities and joys in following Jesus. And here's what I mean. That God has chosen to utilize us, you and me, to accomplish his work. That God does not need us, but he's chosen to utilize ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things for his glory. And so this idea of outsourcing is one of our greatest joys and benefits as followers of Jesus. And over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to see the incredible opportunity that we have. But before we go there today, I want us to start in understanding that there's something foundational that we must get right as we start this look at outsourcing. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I invite you to join us in the Bible app. We're going to start today in Luke 
10.38 in the Bible app. I know we talk about it often, but I just want to pause and once again reflect on what a great tool and resource it is. It's completely free, and it is a great way for you to connect with the heart of God throughout the week, throughout the course of your day, and it's, it's available whatever operating system you're utilizing. And so we highly encourage you to download and engage with the Bible app. And once you've downloaded the app, you can follow along with us this morning under the event tab, find Lakeside Community Church if you have your locations enabled, or type in zip code 54201, and you can follow along with us there as we jump into really the, the middle, the middle of, of Luke's gospel, of Luke's recounting of Jesus's life and ministry, where we start today in Luke 10, 38, where we read these words. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So where we pick up the story of Luke's account of Jesus' life and ministry is Jesus has just got done teaching one of his most famous stories. One of his most famous stories. They're called parables. And one of, one of his most famous parables is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in that story, Jesus talks about an individual who is injured and he needs some help. And the religious people pass right, right on by him. They go right past him. And only when his enemy engages him does he come and take care of his needs. And then he puts him up at an inn. And he says, whatever bill he runs up, let me know and I will take care of it. And it's on the heels of this story, we, we then fast forward into Jesus going with Martha to her home. Now, if you've ever traveled a lot, you understand the allure of this. Jesus was on the road a lot. He went to different towns and different villages. He spoke frequently. He performed miracles. He had quite a following. But with that, there of travel. And so Jesus was going from town to town into different places quite, quite frequently. And so any opportunity he had for a home base, if you've ever been on the road a lot, you understand the allure of that. Or maybe you went to, maybe you went to college, and so you understand that allure of getting to go home. I remember when I was in college, I always looked forward to two things about going home. Number one, it meant I didn't have to do laundry for like a week and a half or two weeks, if I'm being honest. And number two, it meant that I was going to finally get away from cafeteria food, and I was going to have some home-cooked meals. There's just something about that when you've been away where there's a lot of promise. And Jesus is on the road quite often. And so here's this promise for he to go to Martha's house, and he's going to have a nice meal. He's going to have some semblance of home. It's a chance for him to sit back and to relax and to enjoy the benefit of all that that brings. So Jesus goes over to Martha's house. That's, that's where we picked up the story. And verse 39 continues, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So Jesus is over at Martha's house. Martha has a sister named Mary. Mary comes over to Martha's house. Mary is talking with Jesus. She's listening to Jesus as he teaches. Martha's, Martha's over, and in the story continues in verse 40 where we read this, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And now we see the tension. And now we see the tension. Martha has her hands full. 
Martha's running around trying to get the place spotless, trying to make sure that everything's prepared, that all the food's done, that the table is set accordingly. Martha's running around. She's sweating. She's, she's frantic. She's slamming the cabinets. You guys know, you know, getting the pots and the pans out, all the plates out. She is in full work mode. Her sister's there. Her sister is just sitting and listening to Jesus talk. There's the tension. There's the tension. I was able to go away last week, and one of the things that my wife and I and our, our two boys did was one night on vacation, we went with my parents out for ice cream. There's just something about the heat of the summer that brings about an intense desire to go and to pay for one scoop of ice cream, what you could buy a couple gallons for from the grocery store. But there's just something about that that summer just brings about that desire within you. And so we went and the boys ordered their ice cream and and Brooke and my mom, they didn't want any ice cream, and my dad ordered his ice cream, and then I ordered my ice cream, and I got it in a cone because I'm a child at heart, and they were like one or two scoops. Well, that's not really even an option. That's not, I mean, why ask? Just put them both on there. Like, let's go. We're going to do this right. So uh, I answered, I'd like two scoops. And then I watched as the ice cream attendant took the first scoop and plopped it on top of the cone, and I watched the second scoop. And and there was, no, there was no process after the first scoop was on the cone to manipulate the scoop down into the cone, which I think should be covered on ice cream scooping day one. That you don't just plop the first scoop on top of the cone, but that you work it down into the cone so that the person eating the cone has an opportunity. But apparently, the ice cream attendant that I had missed orientation. And so I got the second scoop of ice cream right on top of the cone, and I take it outside, and my dad looks at my cone, and he's like, there's not a chance. There's not a chance. And right as he said that, the, the, top, the top scoop starts to lean over to the right, and I'm just, I'm like, well, challenge accepted, because now I'm going to prove, I'm going to prove that I'm going to be able to devour this ice cream. And so I just, start, I just start eating the ice cream, and it's a grotesque process, I'm sure, to anybody who happened to witness this. And Brooke's over, and she's taking care of the, the two boys, and I'm over there, and then the drip starts to come. And it starts to get the outside of, of my finger, but just lick that up, no problem. But then it starts to melt profusely. And then it starts to drip like inside my hand. And I'm looking at my mom, and she's just looking at me, talking about, well, your ice cream's starting to melt. And I'm like, you could help, you know. And she's like, well, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, how about some napkins? Because at this point, I'm scared to move because the ice cream's about to tumble over. And so my mom walks in, she gets a couple napkins, and she brings them back, and I put one around the cone, and then I start licking the ice cream. And then the ice cream just melts faster. And then I've got the napkin stuck to the cone, and that's just a, just a bad process. And what you really don't need at that point in time is anybody else's commentary on the process because you already know you've got a mess on your hands. And what do they do? What does everybody around me start doing? They start commenting on the ice cream melting as though I'm unaware with the napkin stuck to my hand and the cone that my ice cream is melting. I know it's melting. So I'm like, could you help? And they're like, well, what do you want us to do? And I'm like, could you go grab a dish? And so they run in and they grab a dish. And then they bring the dish out. I'm like, thank you. And so they put the dish down, and I'm going to scoop the ice cream now off the cone into the dish. And right as I do that, it falls onto the side of the table. So now I have a sticky hand and like $7 of ice cream just melting on a table. 
And I'm just like, thank you, everyone. Thank you very much. I got to thinking, have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed how much quicker we are, how much quicker we are to notice the need when we're the one who has the need and not the one who's needed to fix it? Have you ever noticed how much quicker we are to notice the need when we're the one who has the need and not the one who's needed to fix the need? As soon as I had that ice cream outside, I'm like, well, you could go get me some napkins, and you could go get me some napkins, and you could go get me a cup. But how often in life, when we're the person who's needed to fix the need, does it take so much longer to notice? And I know, I know that in Martha's mind, she is just furious with Mary. Because she sees the meal that's being cooked. And she sees the dishes that need to be put on the table. And she sees the area that needs to be picked up. And she sees the drinks that need to be poured. And she sees all of these things. And Mary is over there seemingly just sitting and doing nothing as Jesus teaches. Luke continues, And Martha went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Oh, I love this. Rather than go and ask Mary, rather than go and ask Mary for some help, Martha just bypasses Mary, who you know she is just thinking every, every mean thing that Mary has ever done in her life to Martha, and she's just going through that catalog. Well, when I was eight, you pushed me off my bike, and when I was 15, you know, she's just, she's just rambling through everything in that catalog as she makes a beeline right past her sister, goes right to Jesus, and says, hey, you think she could give me some help? I mean, she just puts Jesus on the spot. This is a crash course in passive aggressiveness. As she goes right past her sister, right to Jesus, and she went up and says, Lord, do you not care? Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? And you know that this is loud enough for her sister to hear, and you know that this is after she slammed the cabinet door and dropped the pot on the stove, because as we all know there is a way to open the cabinets to let everybody in the house know that you're not happy and there is a way to let the pot hit the stove to let everybody know it's been a rough day and they better just steer clear or they better run in and offer to help and they better figure out which one you mean because the pot might sound the same but your thought isn't the same and they better figure it out and they better figure it out now and so she goes to Jesus and she asks the question and then she doesn't even wait for Jesus to respond. She keeps going, tell her then to help me. Tell her then to help me. She's so convinced. She's so convinced she's right. She doesn't even allow Jesus' time to comment. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing, is necessary. And Jesus completely changes the dynamic. He completely changes the dynamic. He says, Martha, you are worried and anxious about all of this. And some of you can relate. 
Because some of you have the gift of hospitality, and you love to have people over. And when you have people over, you want everything to be perfect. And so the day before people come over, you go through your house, and you envision a television crew from HGTV arriving with your guests tomorrow. And so you are cleaning things, and you're reorganizing things, you're rearranging furniture, and you want everything to be perfect. You're telling the kids you may breathe in the house and nothing else. Do not touch anything. Go outside if you have to do anything. But whatever you do, do not mess this up. And when you wake up tomorrow, you will make your bed. You will put your clothes into the washing machine, and you will not make a mess whatever you do. Some of you can relate because you love, to, you love to entertain. Some of you can relate because you grew up where your parents loved to entertain. My mom loves to, my mom loves to host parties. She loves to host parties. And so what I found out very early that if I didn't make plans the day before or the day of the party, that child labor laws didn't exist in the state of Ohio where I grew up, that I would be put to work. And what I also found out is that apparently there are some dinner parties where 14 forks are needed, and you better not put the big fork on the outside because you need to work your way in, Brian, and that is an entree fork, and that it does not go where a salad fork belongs. And if you, if you put the entree fork where the salad fork belongs, you're just going to mess up the whole flow of somebody's dinner. So the entree fork needs to be there. You, you start on the outside, and you work your way in. And so I still have scars as a result of not making plans the day of parties where I would have to set up all of these place settings. And so just, just a helpful hint, teenagers, if you're out there and your parents love to throw fancy dinner parties, just make plans that day and get out of the house, and then you won't have to set up all the, all the place settings. And honestly, it'll be a better day for everyone involved. So, you know, that's free. Do with that what you want to. But you understand, you understand this dynamic that Martha loves. She loves to have people over. She's working really hard. And this isn't just anybody. This is Jesus. Like if there's ever a dinner guest you want to get it right for, it's Jesus. I mean, your mother-in-law, you could care less. The boss, yeah, you try a little harder. This is Jesus. You want everything to be perfect. She's working so hard, and Jesus says, but you're missing it. You're missing it. Martha, you're anxious. You're worried about all these things. All these things. And don't be. And right now, obviously, the world has lost its mind. And people are so worried and so anxious about all these things and if you're watching if you're watching the news how can you not be because every night it's just a commentary that the pandemic is going to kill us all and that the nation in which we grew up in is fatally flawed and it cannot it cannot be fixed and that there are so many problems that there is no hope And if you consume that constantly, how can you not be anxious? And how can you not be worried? And this isn't a plea or a call for us to bury our heads in the sand and to pretend like there's nothing going on, but it is a call for us to be careful about what we allow to come into our lives that will dictate our moods. And there comes a point we, have to, we just have to ask ourselves the question of why are we anxious and why are we worried? And at some point, we just need to turn off the, the, the news. 
and to remember that God's still in control and he's bigger than any and all of this. But if we don't, and if we continue to allow ourselves just to be constantly inundated with all of, with all of this fear, disaster, and anxiety, it will, it will burden our soul. And we have to remember that there's an, there's an entire industry out there who makes more money when the future is bleak. So what is troubling your soul? Are you filled with anxiety? Are you filled with fear? What is, what is making you anxious? What is troubling you? I want to remind you that God is greater and he is in control and none of this catches him by surprise. Jesus said, Martha, you're missing it entirely because while you're worried about all of this, while you're worried about the dinner, while you're worried about hosting me, while you're worried about all of these things that seem really important, there's one thing that ultimately matters. And here's how he finishes the conversation. He says, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And this is our lesson that must be foundational to us in our lives, in our personal spiritual journeys, and also in all of our endeavors. And that is this, that being with God is more important than doing for God. That being with God is more important than doing for God. And when we allow ourselves to be consumed with doing, when we allow ourselves to be consumed with doing, when doing becomes our entire focus and serving, whether it be the church or the community or other worthwhile endeavors that are all good things, don't misunderstand me. None of, none of these are bad things. What Martha was doing was not a bad thing at all. And so the danger is we can easily become blinded because what we are doing are worthwhile, positive endeavors. But nevertheless, being with God must always supersede doing for God. What God ultimately wants is your heart and your soul. Does God want you to utilize the gifts, the talents, and the abilities that he's given to you for his glory and his fame? Absolutely. But first and foremost, the most important work that God wants to accomplish through you is you becoming more like him. 
This is why we are driven by this idea at Lakeside that we repeat over and over and over again, that we exist to help people move one step closer to Jesus. And that's a process that never ends. Whether you made the decision yesterday to follow Jesus or whether you made the decision 70 years ago to follow Jesus, you're constantly needing to move one step closer to him to become more like him. And every step that you take that makes you closer to Jesus, you realize you have further to go. And so we want to be there to walk alongside of you in that process, to encourage you, to cheer you on, to to push you and to help you become more like Jesus in the process. And to serving God help you accomplish that absolutely. Using your gifts is a big part of that. But the key, the key to that transformation is always in us, first and foremost, being with God. And when we lose sight of this, when we lose sight of finding joy in being with God, and when all of our efforts and all of our attention and everything that we work towards is just a work that we do and it's just constantly serving, what happens is we allow and we invite burnout into our soul. Because what can happen is because it is such a worthwhile endeavor, we elevate the idea of service and we elevate all the tasks and all of the things that we need to do in the same way Martha was running around constantly and we lose sight of the joy that God has invited us to as his children to be found in just being with him. And that is why being must always come before doing or else we invite Burnout into our soul. Nearly 3,000 people a year are tragically killed as a result of distracted driving. They tragically allow their focus to be placed on things that are important but ultimately not as essential as focusing on the road. I mean, sometimes you'll hear ad campaigns of it doesn't matter, it can wait, etc. The vast reality, though, for, for most of the messages that we receive is that they're important. Most of the texts we receive are important. Most of the voicemails we receive are important. We all have the one friend who it's like, yeah, they never send us anything important. But other than that person, most of the messages that we receive are really important. And so it's not that people who tragically die of distracted driving aren't doing something important. They are. but it's ultimately not as important and as essential of making sure that their focus stays on the road. Our focus and desire to serve God is fantastic. It's great. But it can never become our main focus. We can never allow doing for God to replace the importance of being with God. We can never allow that balance to get out of whack. 
So, in the weeks to come, we're going to talk a lot about impacting our church and our community and the connections that we have. We're going to talk about how God has wired us to serve others, to love others, how God has given us all talents and abilities and gifts, and we need to utilize those things in the context of the church, in the context of our community. We're going to talk about all of these things, and all of these things are really, really good. It is a good thing for you to serve at Lakeside. It is a good thing for you to serve your community. Those are all really good things. But the challenge is to never allow those things to become our focus. And to make sure that as we get involved and as we get engaged, that we never allow our drive to, to become bigger and better and bigger and better and bigger and better, to never allow that machine to overtake the most important thing. And that is for us to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And to find joy and peace and contentment. First and foremost, in being with God. And then allowing all that we do for God and for the cause of Christ to flow out of that. But to start by making sure that our joy and our contentment and our peace is found in the personal relationship that we have with Jesus and not in continual efforts and endeavors of accomplishing more. That's not a biblical ideal. That's an American mindset. And at some level, we have to understand that we must start by embracing the fact that it is enough to be with God. And ultimately, that is what he wants the most from you and from me. And that our serving God flows from there. God, I pray that we would be people who find joy and contentment and peace in being with you. And Lord, as we have the opportunity to do some incredible things, I pray that we never confuse this. God, I think right now of just all that's going on in the world. The fear, the anxiety, the trouble, the disaster. And Lord, I pray that we would engage our world with the hope that we have. But I pray, God, that we never lose sight of this important truth that we must start by being with you.
So help us find joy in encountering you in Scripture. Help us love to spend time in prayer with you. Let us make it an important part of our lives to experience you. And understand this foundational principle of the importance of just being with you. So Lord, we ask that we'd find joy and rest and peace in you. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.